0: This is 112BK coming to you from Brick House in downtown Brooklyn. On today's show, Lori Cumbo, incumbent running for re-election in Brooklyn's 35th. And baseball legend, Jackie Robinson's son. Hi I'm Ashley Ford and thank you for joining us. I'm still processing what happened on Tuesday and the reaction to it. There are things I still don't understand. The diversity visa lottery is a 27-year-old policy that has allowed approximately 1.3 million people to legally immigrate into the United States. And as far as we know, only one of those 1.3 million has ever committed a terrorist act. Still this is enough for politicians to call for an end to the program. Meanwhile, on an average day, 93 Americans are killed with guns. That's 651 Americans killed in a week and 33,853 in a year. There is absolutely a safety crisis in this country. But I'm a woman of numbers, and the numbers say I'm more likely to be shot and killed by one of my disgruntled fellow Americans than run over by an immigrant. So what exactly is being done to keep me safe? If keeping me safe doesn't fit in with my representative's political ambitions, will anything ever change? Coming up, Lori Cumbo, the incumbent and candidate for re-election in Brooklyn's 35th district, Brick's own. And David Robinson, no, not the former San Antonio Spurs star, better. Son of adjectives don't suffice, Jackie Robinson, the legendary 42 of the Brooklyn Dodgers. But first, these headlines. In more ISIS-related news, a former Brooklyn resident is back, this time in federal custody, and accused of being a recruiter for ISIS. According to documents that were unsealed on Wednesday, prosecutors believe Mir Saad Khandic used over 100 Twitter accounts to spread terrorist propaganda and communicate with would be attackers, including an Australian national who carried out a suicide bombing in Baghdad in 2015. Charges include conspiracy and providing support to the Islamic State. This isn't the first time authorities have arrested suspected ISIS operatives with Brooklyn ties. In 2015, Three men living in Brooklyn were charged with conspiring to support and fight with ISIS. They reportedly spoken of their intention to an informant. All three men pleaded guilty. In other news, despite repeated efforts to kill Obamacare, it still lives. An open enrollment for subsidized health insurance has begun. The enrollment window has been shortened in some states, thanks to our president, and advertising has been reduced by 90 percent. Filling in the void has been former President Barack Obama, who took to Twitter on Wednesday to encourage people to sign up. Fortunately for us in New York, we have until January 31st to sign up. Go to nystateofhealth.ny.gov for more information. You can dance if you want to. Now that the New York City Council finally repealed the Prohibition-era cabaret law, which prohibited dancing in many bars and clubs throughout the city. So it's safe to dance! Or is it safety dance? I never understood the title to that song. The law was a bit of a vestige and wasn't enforced much lately. It was crafted in the 20s, historians say, to mess with Harlem's jazz clubs. It was revived by none other than Rudolph Giuliani when, as mayor, he wanted to crack down on quality-of-life complaints in minority neighborhoods. We'll be right back with Lori Cumbo, running to remain the council member for Bricks District, the 35th. She's been this district's city council rep for the past four years, four years that have seen enormous growth and development in the neighborhood. She's seeking re-election and faces challenges from two other candidates, Jabari Brisport with the Green Party, who was on the show last week, and Republican Christine Parker, who declined our invitation. Lori Cumbo, welcome to 112BK. Thank you. Excited to be here today. Oh, so excited to have you. So can we just start by saying this neighborhood is changing, really really Mm -hmm. fast. Mm -hmm. How are you keeping up with it?
1: This is a dynamic community. The diversity here is incredible, but the growth seems to be Our greatest successful aspect of it but it's also our greatest challenge Um, so many new people are moving to the 35th council district um, not only from other neighborhoods but globally Mm -hmm. people from all over the world are moving to brooklyn because this is the epicenter of opportunities of creativity of new industries that are forming Um, and it is very challenging to keep pace with the exciting amount of development. But it's also the opportunity at the same time to realize how can we work together as a community Mm -hmm. um, to welcome new people to our district, but at the same time preserve those longtime Brooklynites, uh, such as my family who have lived in Brooklyn for over 80 years, to make sure that we want to stay and remain in our communities, Mm -hmm. but creating all of the opportunities for us to be able to do so. And so one of the things that I'm looking forward to um, over the next four years is making sure that we keep people in place, keep our residents in place.
0: That is the really important thing that I think when people start seeing the buildings go up, they start seeing the new businesses come in, the first thing they worry about, does that mean I'm on my way out? How are we preventing that here?
1: Growth and development always translate into gentrification for the Mm -hmm. most part throughout New York City. You see a new tree come up, a new bike lane. For many, that signals uh, a situation where gentrification is going to be more rampant. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that we have to do, and we've done this in the council, uh, previous in the previous administration, so many tenants did not have an opportunity to have legal counsel. And working with my colleagues in government, we have now created an opportunity so those uh, bad actors, those uh, landlords that want to push residents out, Through unscrupulous practices, we have now put a mechanism in place that tenants will have legal representation when they go to housing court, so they are not just— Pushed out with no legal representation right. and no understanding of the system. That's one. But we also have to fight for projects. When uh, zoning uh, projects come before the City Council, a land mm-hmm. use issue, we have to make sure as City Council members that we fight for the greatest amount of affordable housing possible. Right. And affordable to the existing community, not Westchester. We have to make sure that the housing and the AMIs or the area median income is reflective of the longtime residents that have been there and have built and created Brooklyn.
0: Excellent. Mm -hmm. So tell me about the Bedford Armory. Yes. Because that's been sort of a hot-button issue, with some people feeling like, you know, the positions taken on it are, you know, good for the community, and others feeling like, no, this is just going to be another thing that leads to displacement and or does not provide affordable housing four people.
1: Correct. I share the fears that many of our residents have expressed around the Bedford Union Armory project. Mm-hmm. The challenge with it is that the community came together and said they wanted no sale of any aspect of the Bedford Union Armory project. Mm-hmm. I too share that sentiment. Currently, there are 58 condominiums, luxury condominiums, that are part of the the economic model to support the armory. I'm totally against that. I would not support, have not supported, and have worked aggressively um, to make it clear that we as a community will not support any sale by condominium or otherwise of the Bedford Union Armory. The other challenge is that less than 20% of the rental units in the armory on public land are affordable to the immediate community only 20 percent and so we have to work to make sure that we get the maximum amount of affordability at not just affordability because affordability means different things to other people's but it must be affordable to the community of crown heights and that's what we have been working for that's what we've been negotiating on that's Mm -hmm. what we've presented to the mayor no condominiums, we have to have real affordable housing, and that really means low income housing. And another aspect that's very important, we have to create a vehicle and a a pipeline in order to bring people out of our homeless shelter crisis Mm -hmm. back into their communities. Not in a temporary way, but in a permanent way. Mm -hmm. Because the vast majority um, a, a large percentage of people that are in our homeless shelters actually work, right. have full-time jobs, have families, and can't afford the dynamics of uh, child care is here, your workplace is here, your temporary shelter is here, and those things change on a monthly basis. Right. I know now, as a new mom, mm-hmm. once you get your child care situation in place, that has to remain consistent, and we can't continue to shuffle families around um, and having to navigate a system um, in
0: that way. How so, do you do that? How do you—I just feel like it's—it seems like such a huge problem and such a rampant problem Mm -hmm. um, everywhere you go, not Mm -hmm. just in Brooklyn and New York, period. Mm -hmm. So uh, for me, I'm always like, how—what would it even look like? Where would we start to be able to provide those kinds of solutions to these huge problems?
1: One of the things that we have in our power—in our power wheel, if you will, is the ability to uh, affect land use so when developers come to the city council and they want to build Uh, developments, they want to build a huge building, they want to build something with more density or more height, they have to come before the city council in order to have uh, that uh, happen. So one of the things that we do in the city council, we, each member, has the ability to negotiate the best project for each of our communities. So for me, any developer that comes before me, Mm -hmm. you have to create a pipeline for those transitioning out of our homeless shelter crisis. I want to make sure that any project that comes in has the ability to start to, um, Uh, decrease the amount of people in our homeless shelters. We have the ability to negotiate for things such as daycare centers, schools, parks. All of these things are issues that come before us as council members, and we have to look at those council members who have actively negotiated for those things, have actually achieved those victories and wins for their community, and know that they're going to continue to do that moving forward. I'm committed to that because to see families, particularly children, sleeping in our homeless shelters, understanding that we're putting millions of dollars in the creation of temporary housing when really our residents need permanent housing. That's what I'm dedicated towards. We have the ability to do it. We have to speak up as council members Mm -hmm. and to make sure that in these land use negotiations that we have the ability to put forward what we want to see, what our community wants to see as our vision going forward in the future.
0: Have you seen some of those victories in the negotiations with developing buildings that have gone up around here recently?
1: Oh, certainly. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I've been uh, really very proud of is that we've seen um, through many projects that you actually have the ability to have a daycare center open. Uh, There was a a great project that I was in support of um, in East New York, where an arts organization called Arts East New York was able to open up a brand new facility um, as a result of the opportunity for that particular council member, uh, Inez Barron, to be able to negotiate that. Here in our district, um, in terms of discussions around, let's say, the Bedford Union Armory, we've been able to discuss the potential of a multi-million dollar state-of-the-art recreational facility Mm -hmm. and that would have uh, a dramatic impact on the ability to bring uh, individuals in our community, particularly our young people, to have a place so that they can go swimming, play tennis, play soccer, do all of these things that they have not had an opportunity to do so. But we can't do that um, if we're going to gentrify the very residents that we're looking to serve out of their community. We have to make sure that the conversation that brought us together was a recreational facility, a Mm world-class Chelsea Piers, uh, Asphalt Green, one of those types of facilities in central Brooklyn. Um, The ability to have... A facility like that would be a game changer for the youth in that community.
0: It'd be a game changer for me, to be perfectly exactly. honest. I'm really looking for because something Because I grew like up them. in
1: Brooklyn. I mm-hmm. didn't have access to a swimming pool. I didn't have access right. to basketball courts and all of those sorts of things. So right. this will be an opportunity, but we can't do it at the cost of residents that will be displaced. Absolutely. We have to create a balance so that we can see those types of projects go forward.
0: Um, changing gears just a little bit, you know, we, we dealt with the attack that just happened this week Mm -hmm. um, in lower Manhattan. Correct. When things like that happen, people get scared. Mm -hmm. People get worried, people people wonder, you know, what are my my politicians, my representatives, what are they doing Mm -hmm. to help me in this situation? Mm -hmm. Uh, What can city council members do to maybe help prevent situations like that or maybe even just to explain what happened or make people feel a little safer?
1: I mean, we have the finest uh, New York City Police Department in the world, arguably, in terms of uh, uh, countering terrorism. We have been working very aggressively together as a group. Um, One of the things that we stress very much is people power, the actual ability for everyday residents in terms of marketing to let people know you're not crazy if you see something say something if you see a bag if you see a package if you understand that something's not looking right we need to be hypersensitive to it um... we also have to speak to our young people in our schools and to let them know that they also have a responsibility growing up in the city of new york to be able to say something right. but we are living in unchartered territory we are um, moving forward in a way i would be uh... I wouldn't be genuine if I said we had all of the answers at this time. This is a new dynamic um, that's really quite frightening, because, you know, you walk out your door, and you often don't know what the future lies um, for you, for your family, for your loved ones. Um, I think that the best thing that we can do is continue to be diligent Mm -hmm. in our communication. I've passed legislation um, called text 911. Um, Currently, you can only dial 911 in in the event of emergency. But through legislation that I created, the text 911, this is an opportunity now for if you see something, if it's an emergency situation, um, in the next year or so, mm-hmm. you'll now be able to upload a photo, you'll be able to um, text 911, describe the situation, um, and also wow. submit video. And this is happening across the country. It wasn't happening in New York. Our office recognized it. We said, let's move forward with putting this legislation forward. And it's also going to help those that are impacted. Um, what inspired it was um, issues of domestic violence. Right. You often cannot make a phone call when you're mm-hmm. in a domestic situation. And this, if you're in a bathroom, if you're in a bedroom and you have access to your phone, you'll be able to text 911 to signal to uh, authorities that you need help and you need support. And that's coming in the next year. That's coming in the next year. Okay.
0: Um, and
1: so that's what's exciting about the City Council, our ability right. to create change. and that's what I love about being a city council member, recognizing what's happening in the atmosphere and putting forth legislation to address it.
0: So, if you are re-elected, what are your
1: priorities? What are top priorities? <laughs> when you're re-elected, maybe uh, you know,
0: we gotta have the election. first to Yes, see we do have happens. to have an election. So, let, um, what are you, what would be your priorities? Like day one, what are like? Give me maybe like three things that are day one.
1: What's most important to me and has been throughout have been our nitra developments, mm-hmm. and so it's very important for us. You know, we see as you spoke. Rampant development that's taking place, changes, mm-hmm. expansions, remodeling, new buildings, glass towers. But how are we doing all of that and not having an impact on our NYCHA developments? Mm-hmm. They should see the same level of growth and opportunity as every other aspect of the district. But you have certain developments that don't even have security cameras, that don't have mm-hmm. adequate lighting. Um, one of the things that I've been committed to is making sure that we have those cameras, that we have the uh, appropriate lighting, that we're putting uh, all the changes forward to uh brighten up our lobbies, our common areas, our staircases, our elevators, but also at the same time providing um, our NYCHA communities with recreational facilities. Mm -hmm. I was very proud to open up a state-of-the-art dance facility in Atlantic Terminal. Mm -hmm. Um, We're also going to be opening up a new basketball court there. We're gonna continue to bring um, opportunities and resources job fairs, uh, creating a safer environment there, that's something that I've been very committed to because our NYCHA residents have been left out of the growth and the development of Brooklyn, New York. I also want to have an increase uh, in terms of making sure that we um, look at our schools. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that every single one of our schools is STEAM-ready, science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. We have to make sure that, as we have in Brooklyn, New York, our tech triangle, we have the Navy Yard that's producing thousands of jobs in the technological um, and science and engineering fields. We've got to make sure that our students are prepared for the new jobs, the new entrepreneurial opportunities that are coming to the borough. So I'm committed to making sure that STEAM is a part
0: of that. Well, New York right now has some of the most segregated, or I believe the most segregated, Mm -hmm. schools in the country. Correct. So what are we going to do about that?
1: There's been a pilot program that was um, brought forward by Chancellor Farina, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. It's at um, our School of Arts and Letters as well right now. Mm-hmm. And what it really is, is an opportunity to make sure that our schools remain diversified by um, making it, how would you say, we would make sure that there are certain, I, I don't like to use the word quotas, but mm-hmm. that there are actually quotas that are in place to make sure that the school remains and continues to have a certain level of diversity in each of the classrooms. So this has been very successful. Mm -hmm. Um, If we didn't have that, because we're in a gentrifying community, some schools would have completely um, lost much of its African American and Latino populations. So this is an opportunity to make sure that we keep those students in place because the, you know, it's, If you're not purposeful about creating diversity, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. So we have to make sure that we're purposeful about it. We can't just have open houses and marketing. And hope it and happens. And hope it happens.
0: It's something that you have to be intentional about. And I think exactly. every, any person who works in education or studies education mm-hmm. this way would say the same thing, that if you're not intentional about it, it's not just gonna happen. Correct. But thank you so much for being thank here you. with us today. I really appreciate it, um, for sharing your thoughts. Uh, our audience appreciates it, I'm sure, and I know I do. Thank you. you. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Next, wow, David Robinson son of the late, great number 42, Jackie Robinson. So don't go away. What was it like growing up with and being the son of Brooklyn's, and perhaps the world's most influential sports figure, and civil rights icon, Jackie Robinson? We're about to find out. David, Jackie and Rachel's youngest, has spent the last 30 years in Africa growing coffee. We're going to talk about all of those things, including education and race relations. David, I'm so happy to have you here with us today. It is a
2: pleasure to be with you.
0: So can you tell me just really quickly about your journey over the past
2: 30 years? Um, I had been to uh, Africa as mm-hmm. a youth, uh, 14, 15 years of age, mm-hmm. traveled independently in lieu of finishing a university. Mm-hmm. Um, it has been a... Um, a journey of seeking, of mm-hmm. of of uh, finding both roots, mm-hmm. um, fi- uh, marrying and, and and raising a family, um, and utilizing the resources that um, are available to members of the of the of the African race, mm-hmm. uh, whether it is our tribe from Africa, Mar- African Americans, or tribes indigenous to Tanzania on the continent. Right. So we've been able to take our wealth from our continent um, and build it into a global enterprise that that we are in control of basically
0: right so why coffee coffee uh,
2: coffee is the largest uh, was the largest foreign exchange earner in tanzania mm-hmm. we've got uh, over four hundred thousand uh, small-scale family-owned farms growing coffee wow. America is uh, the largest consumer of coffee in the, in the world, so the, the merger between our African resources, both land and personnel, and uh, the American market was a natural. And we were not in that business uh, as black people, other than being the labor component right. for the raw product. Exactly. So we were basically the donkeys in the trade, and, and, and remain so. There are very, very few African-Americans—Africans or African-Americans—in right. the coffee business.
0: So there's potential for investment here—investment not just, like, obviously, in the coffee, but investment in this area and investment in countries like Tanzania uh, in Africa. What if somebody's looking to do anything similar to what you did? Like, where are those investment opportunities?
2: Um. We took a long-term view. Um, um, we believed that uh, our, our relationship to Africa had to be developed. We, we became coffee farmers ourselves. We began a cooperative of small-scale family-owned farms, um, uh, became exporters, importers, roasters, and, and, and the presenter and marketer of a Finnish-branded product. All along um, the line, uh, there is room for investment. One can buy coffee and become an exporter. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 many African countries um, uh, have a lovely uh, coffee profile. One can be um, a roaster on this side of the water mm-hmm. and and uh, and market uh, a finished product, but 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 not uh, not leave the American shores. Um, for us. There's a goal of uniting our our global family uh, as black people um, and uh, working together to utilize, develop our resources and develop our own global market. So mm-hmm. we wanted to go all the way to the origin right. um, and grow, work with our, our, our um our uh, our people in terms of, of uh, creating the volume right. of coffee to be in a, a global coffee uh, producer mm-hmm. and um, and uh, and then be able to offer it into the American market yeah. um, to we work with uh, corporations we work we sell to individuals um, we we um, uh, are very happy to, to ha- be playing a role um, as an African producer um, into the multicultural and Mm multiracial American market.
0: That's wonderful. So what brings you back to Brooklyn?
2: Um, Business and Mm -hmm. um, we have uh, um, four of our seven children born in Tanzania are now working and studying uh, in New York. Mm -hmm. So uh, we are back to see our family and to sell coffee.
0: Of course, well, you know, family's everything. And sometimes being close to family is just like the warmest and best thing that you could be doing in your life. So what was it like growing up in your family in the Robinson household?
2: Well, um, growing up in the 50s and 60s, was both a time nationally of political focus mm-hmm. um, for the african-american community um, a real understanding of the issues and mobilization of the issues mm-hmm. being in the home of Jack and Rachel Robinson put us at a at a center of some of the political discussion and political action so it was a great time of, of clarity in terms of purpose mm-hmm. uh, and direction uh, really the uh, it was not an era when 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 things were measured by money um, right. baseball players weren't making sports figures weren't making extraordinary salaries Mm -hmm. but it was a time when a person's um, a person's merit and a person's value was measured by what they did in a racial term we were an era of Mm firsts and uh, so it was a great time to grow up and and get a sense of of who you were what was an important value Mm -hmm. and what you might want to consider doing with your life
0: absolutely so what um like given all of that when you see what's happening in the country right now and particularly with the nfl protests like how does like what are your thoughts on that how are you feeling about that right now
2: well protest has um always been a means of human development to 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 try to rectify or correct uh, or improve something that that uh, can be flawed, so I, I, I support uh, everybody's uh, speaking out uh, where they see issues, and certainly um, the um, relationship between police and the African and American community is something that needs to be discussed, worked on, and improved. So I applaud all of those who are um, trying to uh, bring that effort forth. I think that's a um, uh, uh, an American, and an Ameri- the, 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 the country was, was formed on protest. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I don't think anybody um, um, should have a problem with that. And in fact, it should be impla- applauded.
0: When your dad played his first major league game, I have to believe that that was not just monumental, obviously for the country, but maybe even more so at for a family and within that household. So when you think about what's happening um, in sports right now and these conversations about protests and about the validity of those protests and, you know, in some cases, the misattribution of those protests, um, I'm wondering, in your life, what are some of the things that your father said to you um, to help you understand why he was doing what he was doing and what it
2: meant? Um, Well, you know, um, he knew, um, grew up in Georgia, um, sharecropping family, Uh, his mother was a domestic worker. Um, He knew what it meant to be um, in a downtrodden situation, but in a family that was looking straight ahead and, 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 and looking to move forward. And right. his mother made a huge journey from Georgia to California in order mm-hmm. to better their family's position. Um, he saw what Breaking the color barrier in baseball would do for the African American community. It would right. do great things for the sport, great things for the country. But it would bring African Americans into a position where we could see ourselves um, on the, the 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 main playing field, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 able to show our talents, our and our courage, um, and our abilities. Um, uh, in 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 the mainstream industry of, of, of baseball or any industry I right. mean this was a forerunner to our, our breaking color barriers not only in sports but in business and in, in politics and in all other venues of American life right. so um, he, he saw it as a great opportunity um, and he um, worked at it with a responsibility that was beyond you know, just his responsibility to himself or even his family.
0: Um, one of the things you said earlier about um, growing up in your home and also just about the time that you grew up here in America was that it gave you a sense of clarity mm-hmm. about purpose yes. and about who you were. Yes. Uh, but that was here in America. Go, spending 30 years in Africa, and specifically in Tanzania, what have you learned about yourself just from being in that Different atmosphere and that different climate among so many people who you know actually look like us.
2: Yeah. Well, we've we've you know we have spent uh, three, four hundred years um, in North America. We've got seven, eight, ten thousand years on the African continent as organized societies. Um, it 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 um, has been good to be in an in a uh, on a continent uh, mm-hmm. where we are in the majority mm-hmm. where the resources are um, though having ha- ha- they had been colonialized for a mm-hmm. period of time um, had now uh, were under um, African uh, political control. Mm-hmm. Um, we needed to become global players. I mean, the the, the the global economy had been going on before the last 20, 30 years of, of, of global initiatives. And um, so it was a chance to pay, play a part mm-hmm. as uh, one race, one tribe of, of the African race. Mm-hmm. Um, and be able to work with are huge resources um, and to work um, in, in intelligently in that all the tribes of the african race need economic development right. we all need to focus on what is ours and what we have access to right. and and africa is so wealthy in terms mm-hmm. of personnel natural resources the the lack of african-american involvement mm-hmm. um, in on the african continent is 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 tragic as it is illogical um, right. but given our position of of isolation and ignorance and and oppression and suppression here in North America. Um, We are trying to wake ourselves up, Mm -hmm. uh, identify who we are, Water ourselves, self-interests, mm-hmm. develop an agenda for the development of those self-interests, and then look globally as every company, country, and individuals are doing. I mean, right. um, a, 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 the the South American uh, move across uh, the, the border into America is done as individuals. So from individuals to corporations to nations, people are operating globally. And the African American, if we are going to survive in this mm-hmm. in this family of with our own position and our own economy and economic development we are going to have to utilize our resources to develop on a global basis
0: Wow I think you're right (laughs) absolutely can you tell me a little bit more about your coffee I see that you have some here on the table tell me about it
2: this is 100% Arabica coffee. So it is mm-hmm. it is of the two types of coffee, Robusta and Arabica. Mm-hmm. This is your gourmet, harder to grow, harder to process, but um, more balanced flavored coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, our family farm and our cooperatives are in a region where you call a high mountain grown so we're over three thousand feet above sea level so the altitude affects the quality of the coffee and, and the, the slowness of the maturity of the beans because of the temperature at certain altitudes um, all grown by small-scale family-owned farms Tanzania was blessed not to have um, land barons and the the, the thousand acre estates right. um, that uh, where again the indigenous population became a laborer to mm-hmm. some industry. Um, our 95 percent of Tanzania's coffee are grown by by family owned farms with an average of uh, in our cooperative an average of three acres per family, and the co-op is is um, it's just a it's a, it's a big business model Mm -hmm. um, where people are investing their land and their labor um, and coming together and investing in the organization uh, of the cooperative Mm -hmm. to um, put together a quantity of coffee wherein we can we can become globally involved in the industry but the african-american has a unique role to play in this because most of the rural coffee farmers mm-hmm. are so distant from the consumer markets europe right. america japan that the knowledge of those markets and the ability to penetrate those markets mm-hmm. are a difficulty um, so our deal with our co-op was they would teach our family how to farm coffee, because I'm born in New York and I never right. saw coffee in New York. <laughs> um, they would teach our family how to farm coffee, and we would work our hardest to develop an international market for that coffee. Wow. Um, which is the, the, the type of natural resource we have as people born in the West.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on today and for talking about, you know, for talking about the NFL, for talking about your life growing up, and definitely for talking about the great opportunity um, of not just this delicious coffee, but also the fact that, you know, so many of us have this opportunity to get involved in ways that I don't think people necessarily knew.
2: Yeah. Thank the you for c- me The here. continent is open to us. Sweet Unity Farms Coffee, SweetUnity.com. Anyone can buy the coffee online, suituniformscoffee.com.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. Next week, I'll be away on Monday, and Jarrett Murphy from City Limits will be filling in with an Election Day primer. Don't miss it. Thanks for joining us, and see you
2: soon. 112BK is hosted by Ashley Ford, produced by Ross Tuttle, Fred Brown, Jereen Barge, Emily Boghossian, and Kritzi Roberts, edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrell Palmer, our audio engineer is Eric Haugaseg. Executive producers are Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias.